0: Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Koger Center Arts Roundup. We've got our special guest with us today on the Coker Center Arts Roundup. We've got uh, Dr. Scott Weiss from the School of Music. So there's a have come to learn there are a lot of bands on campus.
1: Indeed. Obviously, I most notably the Carolina Band. That's the marching band. The marching band. And then all of the other athletic bands, men's and women's basketball, women's volleyball, and then four concert bands. So there
0: are... If I count, like, are there four athletic bands? Is that what you just said? The marching band, men's and women's, basketball, and volleyball. That's right. And they're all separate. Right. Or, is it, or, or some of those bands do double duty.
1: Well, I, the membership is mostly drawn from members of the Carolina band, but not exclusively. Um, so a member of the Carolina band could opt to be in a volleyball band or a basketball band if they so chose.
0: And the, those bands are smaller, I would assume, than the main marching band.
1: Well, right. I mean, the marching band has fluctuated, well, when I got here, it was about 240. It's been as high as almost 400. Um, and it's kind of settled into where I think we want it more long term, which is in the mid 300s, which is still huge. That is
0: huge. I had no idea it was that big. Yeah. Does everyone play at a football game? Or do you sort of audition those slots out or rotate those slots?
1: Yeah. Um, so everybody plays at the football game, especially at halftime and in the stands. Pre-game is for a slightly smaller band, and it's fixed. It doesn't change from year to year. But off the top of my head, I can't remember how many people are in that. But it's there are some that don't march pre-game. And for the— um the, the bands that
0: play indoor at the arena or at volleyball uh, what what's the size of that band like?
1: Uh, it's changed a little bit and I, I'd have to it's been a couple of years now um, since I've been in the orchestra job and not the band job but um, the I think the basketball bands now are somewhere around 90 That's um, unless it's tournament huge. yeah it's, it's pretty big um, but Colonial Life's a pretty it's big a space big to space. fill up yeah um, when it's NCAA tournament time, you're limited to, I believe, it's 32. So um, it gets cut down quite a bit when then we're traveling. Um, and
0: now for for three years, you've, you're entering your third season as right. the conductor of the symphony, and you did some double duty the first season?
1: I did. I did indeed. So
0: so how was that to be in charge of the bands and the symphony? It was a lot.
1: <laughs> uh, it was okay from a sort of a day-to-day basis as ter- in terms of just, you know, rehearsals and all of that. But um, especially the, the band job has a lot of administration and oversight involved in it. Um, and so it was a pretty tiring couple of years. It was two years, actually, of doing double wow, duties. Two full so, years. Yeah. Um, what is the difference between,
0: like, the bands and the symphony for people to understand that, you know, we've got on campus that was a part of the School of Music?
1: Right. Um, Well, I mean, if we take the athletic bands outside, away from that, obviously, which those exist to support our teams and to create, you know, a a richer game day environment, um, the concert bands, the wind ensembles that play on stage in the Coger Center, um, have a relatively new repertoire. In the early 20th century, there was almost no repertoire for concert band or wind ensemble, Um, whereas symphony orchestras had already had Haydn and Beethoven and Mozart and Brahms and Mahler had already written masterpieces for symphony orchestra. Um, For the most part, wind ensembles had almost no repertoire, and in the 20th century, wind ensembles absolutely exploded, and composers like Stravinsky and Copland and the major composers of the 20th century sort of embraced wind ensembles. Um, and so the major difference really is, is repertoire and obviously the absence of strings. Um, but anymore, you take contemporary music, the difference between wind ensemble and orchestra is simply the instrumentation.
0: And uh, f- so right now the symphony is a uh, concert coming up on Tuesday, the 29th of October at 7.30 p.m. at the Coker Center for the Arts. Uh, the title of this is Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, where, where does the title come from?
1: So it comes from everything on the program has something to do with Prague, actually, and Bohemia, as it were. Um, we have a clarinet soloist um, From the Czech Republic, he's an internationally renowned clarinet soloist um, from Prague, and he's here actually doing a sabbatical replacement for our clarinet professor. So he's on campus for the whole semester? So he's on campus for the whole semester, and um, he's going to be playing a concerto with the orchestra, and then we sort of designed a program around him. And so um, also on the program is a symphony by Mozart called the Prague Symphony, and um, a piece by Smetna called The Moldau, which is probably the most famous piece to come out of Prague. Uh, and for
0: students listening, it's free for students to come?
1: It is indeed.
0: And uh, for a student who may not have come before, what's a good selling point as to you know why you should take your you know, Tuesday evening to come to the symphony?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I think one of the reasons that students come to a university like ours is to sort of broaden their perspective and get a real sense of what's out there and what kinds of things not only will they be doing professionally, but also with their own free time after graduating from this place. And one of the things as conductor of the symphony orchestra that I really wanted to do was make the symphony orchestra accessible to the students on campus. And so the major change that I made three years ago when I took over directorship of the orchestra was I said I want students to be able to come for free. And so students can come to the concert hall with their student ID and get a ticket and come hear the orchestra. They have nothing to be afraid of. I think one of the things about classical music is that we've sort of made it inaccessible to our audiences people are afraid. i don't know when to clap i don't know what to do and uh, we sort of have this sort of no rules policy if you feel like clapping at a certain time clap um it, and we want people to just come and enjoy the music they don't have to know anything about it necessarily to enjoy it Now, if you come and you don't know
0: anything about it, you offer a lecture, right? I do. Before the concert, it starts at 645, is that? That's right. In the lobby, so you just wander in, and why should people catch that? What what do they learn from you that that makes their listening experience of the evening more enjoyable?
1: Yeah, good question. It's, I think, lecture with a small L. In other words— It's just intended to be sort of, this is what you're going to hear tonight, and I try to offer some insights that um, somebody that's trained would understand and appreciate, but particularly somebody that doesn't have a background in classical music, I I try to make sure that I don't lose them in the process. And so maybe we talk about the background behind the piece and why the piece came to be, or we talk about the kinds of things that they'll be able to hear in the music. Um, But again, the the point of that pre-concert talk is to sort of help um, understand what you're going to hear Um, But I always then add the caveat, which is that if you can't make that, you still can come sit down and listen. And and the analogy I like to use is I love art, but I don't know that much about it. And I'm kind of happily ignorant about that because I can just enjoy and not have to analyze it. And I, I want people to feel the same way coming to our concerts. It's okay if you don't know anything about it. If you enjoy it, great. That that's fantastic. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask about is because we're here
0: at the university, you know, this is the university's orchestra. Um, there's a education component. Uh, not only uh, I wanted to get your feelings on it from two points of view. One. That the players are learning, mm-hmm. but then also um, before we talk about that, uh, I think the lecture goes towards this. What do you feel the university's position is um, having a performance at the Koger Center with the symphony to help educate the public about you know the music uh, that kind of thing? Do you do you see? the symphony sort of is an outreach arm of the school of music bringing not just music but music education to the public
1: very much so um and classical music has to reach new audiences i mean that's sort of what i'm getting at here in that we have to we have to educate people and we have to more than educate we have to kind of open the doors for people to come and enjoy it um and Feel comfortable coming to symphony orchestra concerts.
0: Do you have this in mind when you're scheduling the season? About um, do you, do you think about the students who are playing? Do you think about the public? Do you think about uh, you know? Are we trying to fill in things that people haven't heard on a regular basis? Like how, what's the thought process yeah. behind picking a season? Because that's obviously a huge part of. Uh, the job is lining up next season, not only the guests,
1: but, you know, what pieces are you going And what play? repertoire, exactly. Uh, it's a great question because the USC Symphony Orchestra is a required course for music music students on our campus. And so we have people getting doctoral degrees in music performance that are playing in the symphony orchestra, and we have people getting bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. And so their experience is actually first and foremost. What we play, they need to play a broad spectrum of music and have a deep, rich experience in that music um, in a very powerful way. And that has to be the first and foremost thing that I take into consideration when I'm programming, which is different than a professional symphony orchestra. Professional symphony orchestra has to make money. They have to be able to pay their salaries and pay the rent and everything else. So the and,
0: marketability of the songs is as important as anything.
1: Exactly. Um, at the same point in time, a big part of our budget is comes through ticket sales as well. And so um, I have to balance the needs of my students educationally and what they need to be playing and studying with also what we can market and, um, you know, things like a Beethoven symphony or a Mozart symphony bring people in. And something a little bit more esoteric like, a I don't know, a Bartok piano concerto or something may be a little bit l- less easy to sell, but important for the students to play nonetheless.
0: And you can't just uh, imagine... Uh, repeat the repertoire every two years in order to give students the same opportunity year after year right. because the public doesn't want to come back uh, to something they might have just seen recently.
1: Right. But thankfully, Beethoven wrote nine symphonies and Mozart wrote 41 symphonies. And so, so there's a lot to choose from. There's a lot to choose from. And that's one of the great things about symphony orchestras: the repertoire is so rich.
0: Um, One question that I had, thinking way back to when you talked about uh, how the bands are playing more modern music Mm. uh, and the symphonies playing classical music, Uh, are people still composing much for symphony orchestras, and do you ever play anything— that you would consider contemporary, modern, and uh, recent class, you know, is it in, and you call it classical music when it's of yeah, that it's style? it's a good question. I mean, what, what is you?
1: classical music anymore, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, uh, if we're being, you know, r- really picky about it, classical refers to a period right. of music. Right, one, w- one defined period. Right, I mean, Haydn, Beethoven, Mozart in that period. But um, there are still a lot of composers writing for symphony orchestra, um and yes, we play contemporary music. Um in our season opening concert, for instance, we played a fairly new piece, um, written by Gabriella Lena Frank, um a, a Latin American female composer. And um we regularly work new music into our programming. Again, that goes to that balance thing. Um New music is not necessarily the biggest selling point for a symphony orchestra concert. And so putting that alongside something really that does really draw the public in a Beethoven symphony or something like that is often the real trick to programming. And what I hope happens when we do that is somebody comes to hear maybe the Mozart symphony, but comes away liking the new piece as much. Well, yes, that that that's.
0: The, and that's art, uh, you know, and uh, art education at its finest. Right, right. Um, we have, obviously, this world-class clarinetist joining us mm-hmm. uh, on this concert. Uh, tell us uh, about the season uh, in general. Um, how how many guest artists from off? I mean, he's obviously on campus, but just a guest on campus. Uh, how many off-campus guests do you get to play with the students? And is that an important part of the education is to introduce them to different professional musicians from off campus
1: it is um it's not something we do every concert we do six concerts a year in the koger center and we don't always bring in guests from outside number one we have world-class artists on our faculty and our students having the chance to play and accompany their teachers is incredibly powerful, and at least as powerful as accompanying a stranger. Um, That said, um, bringing in a really internationally renowned soloist like Corell, who's here um, playing clarinet this time, or for this last concert we had Elena Uriosti uh, playing violin, who's played with most of the major symphony orchestras in the world. And was here the whole week and was teaching violin and actually teaching yoga. Uh, Having somebody like that on our campus for a really rich residency, not just come in and play a rehearsal and a concert, but actually come and work with our students and spend some time getting to know them and helping all of us. That's a really rich experience. And so we try to focus and have one or two of those major residencies a year.
0: Um, what else should we look forward to this season uh we, the bohemian Rhapsody is uh, next tuesday the twenty ninth of october um, If there was one more concert that you were particularly excited about for this season i it 's sort of like picking your children i imagine but uh which is your favorite child uh what 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 should we look forward to uh with bated breath um you know after this concert
1: well i, I- It's not hard for me to pick my favorite child in this case because Gustav Mahler is actually next up after that. On December 3rd, we're playing Gustav Mahler's monumental Fifth Symphony, Um, and this piece is just—it's a piece that I heard when I was 15 years old. I didn't know that much about music. And it caused me to i mean, change sort of the direction of my professional life. I went, oh, this is, that's what I have to do. Um, and, again, it goes to this idea that I didn't know that much about what I was hearing. I just was overwhelmed by it. Um, it's this, in, it's. An incredible piece of music. It's monumental in length as well as just scope. It's a huge symphony orchestra, enormous amounts of sound coming off of the stage, um, and dramatic changes in just the affect that's going on. And that piece is paired with a Beethoven piano concerto, the third. Beethoven wrote five piano concertos. His third piano concerto is being performed on the first half of that concert with an Irish pianist who has spent his entire career specializing in the five Beethoven piano concertos. So John O'Connor's here and then Mahler. That's a pretty great concert in my book.
0: That's fantastic. Have you? Is this your first opportunity to conduct this symphony?
1: This one, yes. So this is my first go-around on the Fifth Symphony of Mahler. So
0: this is a sort of a full-circle moment. Uh, uh, finally, uh, the, the piece that brought you to this profession is your chance to perform it on—or, you know, to conduct it on stage. Right. Um, with such a monumental piece, do you get extra rehearsal time, or do you have to fit in something this complicated into the same amount of time you would have to do—I mean, none of them are easy, but— maybe is this particularly more challenging for the students to perform?
1: Yeah, this is definitely more challenging for us to perform than some other things that we do um, for a lot of reasons, one of which is just the size of it. Do um, you mean length? The or, length of it, a, a, yes. And number of people? And number of players, and so it's that many more people to get together. Um, and so what I do after we... Um, work out a performance schedule for the season is I literally count how many rehearsals we have and look and go, okay, well, we have nine rehearsals for that concert, which is usually we have seven or eight. So if I've got nine, maybe I can go an inch harder. um, And then I kind of push us in those ways. So That makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with? Oh, I I had one last question before I asked that one, which is... um, What instruments do you play? Um, Did you, you you said that this symphony pushed you in the direction uh, of where you went. Um, I imagine that you don't just, uh, as a 15-year-old, decide you're going to become a conductor. Right. Um, So
1: what is your path to becoming a conductor? Well, I was a trumpet performance major. I went to Indiana University and majored in trumpet performance. I was going to play trumpet in a symphony orchestra and um, ended up sort of falling into a conducting position almost accidentally and discovered that I loved it at least as much as trumpet playing and gradually over the period of about 15 years my trumpet playing started taking a back seat to my conducting and along the way then I studied violin for three years and um Played almost all of the wind and string instruments at least um, long enough to become quote unquote proficient on them. So I've actually played all of the instruments in the orchestra, although most of them I would not play for you at this point in time, but uh, I've had at least some experience playing them all.
0: Is that common? For somebody to be so have such a wide experience?
1: It is not uncommon. Um, I mean, if you're going to stand in front of a symphony orchestra and you don't know how the instruments work, then at some point in time you're not going to be particularly effective. Um, and all of our music education majors here on campus are learning to play all of the instruments, at least to a certain level.
0: That's very impressive. It is. As uh, somebody who... Struggles through a a song on the piano and thinks that very successful to have pounded one out to think about (laughs) (laughs) having to do that on any other instrument is is overwhelming um it's it's very impressive um and so uh um what anything you want to leave us with about the, the upcoming concert or the season that you'd like people to know?
1: Uh, again, I, the the thing that I think is most important is that the door is wide open for students on our campus as well as, of course, the community beyond. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that I always say to community members is that when you come and you buy a ticket to our concert, you are supporting the students on the stage, as well as getting this great concert experience. And hopefully there comes a great feeling behind that because, for instance, these soloists that we bring in, whether it's John O'Connor playing the Beethoven Third Piano Concerto or Elena Uriosti uh, playing the Korngold Violin Concerto just last month, they don't come for free. And so somebody coming and buying a $30 ticket to our concert is helping us to do that because we don't get enough money uh, from the university to just do that on our own. Um, And so the door is wide open for students, and those people buying tickets are really helping us out a lot. Our special
0: guest has been Dr. Scott Weiss, the conductor of the symphony. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The Coger Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at CogerCenterForTheArts.com, the the official website for Coger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit GarnetMedia.org.